Hello, it is wonderful to be with you this morning. My name is Paul. I am one of the pastors and elders here. It's a privilege to serve here. And we're going to have some fun this morning talking about a light little topic. You ready? But first, we're going to start with a quiz, all right? We need some, you know, pop quiz time. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to make a statement, and then I'm going to ask you whether the statement I just made is true or false. And if you think it's true, I'll ask you to raise your hand if you think it's false. So I'm going to make a statement, and then we're going to evaluate its truthfulness. Are you ready? You don't seem ready. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, all right, here we go. You ready? Here we go. I am lying. Now, how many of you think that that statement is false? Raise your hands. A few of you, okay, yeah, okay, good. How many of you think that that statement is true? Interesting, the second service is very different than the first. How many of you, your, your heads are kind of spinning? Yeah, you're in good company. Um, so let's think about the statement. Those of you who said that it was false, if I was lying when I said I am lying, then I'm not really lying, so it can't be false. But for those of you that said it was true, if I was truthful when I said I am lying, then I'd be truly lying, but I couldn't be because it was true, so it couldn't really be true. Are you confused yet? Okay, good. This is actually something called the liar's paradox. It's a philosophical conundrum that has plagued philosophers for, since about the 600 BC, so a long, long time. It's probably one of the reasons why most of you aren't philosophers, right? Who wants to sit around solving problems like that? But the issue really highlights the, the deal that we're going to talk about this morning, and that is that we come to places sometimes where we can't reconcile what happens externally with what's true inside. We come to these places where I say one thing, but another thing is true of me. And there's this kind of tension there that makes our heads spin. And we know just within our souls that that kind of a situation ought not be so. We have a word for this in English. Dictionary.com defines hypocrisy as a pretense of having a virtuous character, moral or religious beliefs or principles that one does not really possess. It's me saying something is true on the outside when that isn't really true of me on the inside. And it turns out that hypocrisy is one of the worst things. Barna did a poll about a little over a year ago in December 2022. They asked people what prevents them from coming to faith in Jesus. And they gave them a list of 14 different possible obstacles. The number one on that list was the hypocrisy of religious people. The biggest thing that prevented them from coming to faith. They also did another poll where they asked people to compare two groups. Um, so the Pharisees are a group of people in the first century that were really, really legalistic. They love to follow rules and they love to tell other people about following rules. And they're kind of known, we'll look at this in a minute, for their hypocrisy. So Barna asked people, modern Christians, are they more like Jesus or more like the Pharisees? 
and they ask them in two different ways. Are they, do they think like Jesus and do they act like Jesus? So here's a chart that most people, 51% of people said that modern Christians think more like the Pharisees and act more like the Pharisees than Jesus. Only 14% of people said that Christians today act and think more like Jesus. Friends, this is a problem. The fact that in the world we live in today, most people believe that followers of Jesus don't live the way they speak. That there is this tension. And not only is there this tension, but this is something that prevents people from coming to faith. They look at the lives of Christians. A lot of us in the room and online, they look at our lives and they say, I don't want to follow the God that that person is following. So what do we do about that? Where do we take that? How do we address that issue? We're in the middle of this series where we're tackling these hard questions of faith. It's called Explore God, if you're just joining us. And we are joining in this sermon series with over 150 other churches all around the Bay Area. I love this map that shows us all the different churches down from Carmel up to Santa Rosa, over almost to Modesto. Churches that have joined together to tackle these issues. And it's been incredible to hear some of the stories coming out of this process. We had somebody from our community come to faith a few weeks ago, another person from our community that's actually in China come to faith. We've heard stories all around the Bay Area of seekers coming together, of people feeling more equipped, of people coming to faith, of baptisms happening, of discussion groups that are thriving. So it has this sense that God is on the move in the Bay Area, helping people to think about these things. Now, we actually added this particular question to our series because we had some scheduling things. We needed to extend the series a bit to fit our calendar. And we felt like this particular topic, why are Christians hypocrites, needed to be addressed. That we need to think well about this and perhaps even try to figure some stuff out among ourselves if we are going to be the kinds of people that point people towards Jesus. Now, interestingly, Christians are not the only ones who struggle with hypocrisy. Um, if you decided that, that you are aware of your own hypocrisy and you want to address it, uh, the internet is here to save you. You can do a quick search and you could find this article on lifehacker.com with the topic, how to cope when you realize you're a hypocrite. And the internet will give you four very good ideas for how to cope when you face your own hypocrisy based on an article from Psychology Today. Interesting article, but on all these online articles, the really good stuff is in the comments below the article. And what I found really interesting is in the comments on this article, almost everybody wanted to talk about the hypocrisy of other people rather than themselves. Even though the article was titled, How to Cope When You Realize you're a hypocrite. Just point that out to say that talking about our own hypocrisy is not an easy thing to do. But maybe we need to. Maybe as the church, we actually have the freedom to do that and to address this question both within ourselves and how we present to the world. 
So we're going to do that this morning, and we're going to move through three different ways to do that. First, we're going to think about God and what he thinks of hypocrisy. We're going to look at some words of Jesus and evaluate that. And then we're going to look at what it really means to be a follower of Jesus and how that state can sometimes actually lead to hypocrisy. And then we'll wrap up by trying to wrestle with what we do moving out from here, what God might have for us by means of healing and a path forward. Well, if you think that you hate hypocrisy, then you should find out what Jesus thinks because you've got nothing on Jesus. Jesus hates hypocrisy. I mean, he hates it with the hate of a thousand burning suns. There is nothing that Jesus spoke more harshly about than the hypocrisy of religious people. Again, this group, the Pharisees, these first century Jewish sect, Jesus had some words for them. We're going to read a few of them. This is Matthew 23. Uh, He goes on and on and on. I'm only going to read us a little bit, but listen to some of these words. This is Matthew 23, uh, starting in verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. We're going to jump down to verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. As I said, Jesus goes on and on. Jesus had the harshest words for religious hypocrites. To the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, he was tender and offered forgiveness. To the young man who was rich and was torn by his allegiance to money or God, he offered a simple invitation. Sell all you have and follow me. To the ones who spat in his face, who put a crown of thorns on his head, who hated him and mocked him and hung him on a cross to die, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. But to the religious hypocrites of his day, he said, woe to you, hypocrites. Why? Why would Jesus save his harshest words for this particular issue? I think it has to do with the nature of what it means to be a Christian. See, if being a Christian were about following a certain set of rules or legal commandments, then hypocrisy would not be as big of a deal. I tried to find out in preparation for the sermon how many laws the United States government has. Turns out that's a tricky number to find. (laughs) Uh, It's at least 30,000, probably 
orders of magnitude more than that, depending on how you count laws. But as far as I know, and if you're a lawyer in the room, you can correct me after the service if I'm wrong. As far as I know, there is no law against hypocrisy. I can be a hypocrite and never go to jail. But within a relationship with another person, where you're trying to trust someone and grow in intimacy and connection, whether it's friendship or marriage or parenting or child or coworker, within relationships, one of the worst things you can do is to say one thing and do another. How do you have a relationship with anyone if you can't trust that what they do lines up with what they say? See, hypocrisy strikes at the heart of Christianity because the heart of Christianity is relationship. It's about us having a relationship with the living God. And so it's not illegal to be a hypocrite, but hypocrisy makes relationship almost impossible. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Isaiah. And as a lot of the prophets, he had some hard words for God's people, for the people that lived around God's people. But here are some of his words. He's, he's describing the reason for God's judgment on his people. And this is what he says in Isaiah 29, 13. The Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. He says, the reason for the judgment is that because they say one thing and do another. They're hypocrites. And God says, I can't stand that. Before becoming a pastor, I worked in software engineering. I was a product manager for Oracle. And on our particular product team, we were designing a certain part of a product and then it was connected to a lot of other products. So one of my roles on my team was to meet with members from other teams in collaboration to try to build stuff together and, and help each other out. So early on, I would go to these meetings and uh, you know, we would talk about what we needed from other teams and somebody from another team would say, oh sure, we'll build that for you and we'll give it to you so we all work together well. And as a young product manager, I thought, great, they're gonna help us. And so then, you know, a week or two would go by and I'd email them and say, um, hey, that thing you said you'd do, uh, let me know when, when you'll give it to us. No answer. And I'd email them again, hey, remember that thing you said that you do, that we need to do our stuff, but you said you'd do it? We're, you know, whenever you're ready, we're here. And then pretty, you know, eventually kind of the more seasoned people on my team said, oh yeah, you can't trust what anybody says in a meeting. <laughs> They're never going to give you that thing. And at first I was confused because I thought, like, aren't we all on the same team? Really? Isn't this a professional environment where we're supposed to work together? And then I was hurt because this person had, had told me, I'm going to do this. And they didn't mean it. And then I was angry because that shouldn't be so. The world should be a better place where people say what they mean and mean what they say. And then I was just sad because this is the way work is. And you have to learn to live with it. You see how hypocrisy, even just a simple one, can weave its way into our hearts and relationships 
and ripples out through all these different emotions and feelings. Because when there's hypocrisy, relationship is almost impossible. So I've now made the problem worse, right? Because I've talked about how much Jesus hates hypocrisy and how hypocrisy makes it so hard to have relationship, but we're still back at the same issue that so much of the world thinks that Christians are hypocrites. So what do we do about that? Well, let's think for a minute about what it looks like to be a Christian and what the process is of coming to faith in Jesus to understand why hypocrisy is so common. The Bible says that there's something true about us as people where we are somehow inherently broken that there is something about us, that we come into the world with a certain condition where things aren't right. The Bible tells this story in the beginning books of the, uh, beginning chapters of the book of Genesis where God created a man and a woman and the man and a woman had everything they needed. God had provided everything for them, but they chose rather than to rely on the provision of God, they chose to depend on their own wisdom for what would be worthwhile. And they chose the one thing that was off limits to them. And that's really the nature of this brokenness that we come into the world with. It's, it's the idea that we are self-reliant, that we can handle things on our own, that we have it figured out rather than trusting in the provision of the God who created us. That's what the Bible calls sin. There's a scholar in the fourth century after Jesus called Augustine, this is how he described this brokenness. He used a fancy Latin phrase, homo incurvatus in se, which roughly translated means the human being curved in upon itself or bent upon itself. And I love that visual image because it feels so resonant to me of what sin feels like, just being self-centered, self-focused, self-important, self-reliant. That's the nature of the brokenness that we walk into the world with. But then God. That's how the gospel begins. That's how the good news begins. That in the midst of a broken situation, God himself, the one who created everything, intervenes, initiates to find a solution. God acts. And particularly in the act of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God makes a way for that curved in upon ourselves nature to be opened up. So that when we put our faith in Jesus, that is an initial act of dependence on the God who provides for our salvation. And it opens us up to a whole new world of living with trust in the provision of God. If you have not experienced that for yourself, we would love to walk alongside of you. We would love to share more of you. We would love for you to know the peace and the joy and the freedom and the dependence that comes when you put your faith in Jesus and you become opened up to what God is doing in your life. Please come talk to me. Come talk to somebody else. We're having a, a lunch right after this service up in the, fellowship, up in the upper room where we'll be talking about this and other questions. I'll be there answering questions. If you do not know Jesus, let's talk. 
But if you do, and if you put your faith in Jesus, you will discover what happens when someone believes in Jesus. And that is that something radical gets transformed. Something about your life changes when you put your faith in Jesus. You are a different person. We sang this morning when we came in about how God has healed our heart and he changed my name. The uh, two or three of you that were on time will remember singing those words. Just a gentle reminder, you know, for those of us who are punctually challenged, that there's some good stuff that happens right when the service begins. But we sang about that idea that God has changed us on the inside when we put our faith in him. But the reality is that that internal change takes a while to be expressed externally. That what happens immediately takes some time to flow out. Another prophet in the Old Testament by the name of Jeremiah described a little bit of that internal change. Here's him in Jeremiah 31, verse 33. He says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So when you come to faith in Jesus, God writes his law on your heart. You are changed. But there's also a part of you that remains unchanged. And so to be a Christian is to have this kind of tension with what we know to be true, with what we know to be God's desire for the world, and with the fact that we take time to live that out. Sometimes I find that I will intentionally do what I know is against God's law. That I will choose it for whatever reason, I'd rather do it even though I know that it's wrong. Other times I will find, usually in hindsight, that I won't necessarily intentionally choose it, but I will rely on the muscle memory of decades of life that's deep within my soul that just naturally operates with that curved in upon myself nature. And I won't realize it until later that yeah, I haven't done according to that law on my heart because I'm just so used to being self-reliant. If you feel that tension, if that resonates with you, then it might be encouraging to know you're not the only one. In fact, there's a man by the name of the Apostle Paul who wrote a lot of the New Testament and he has this incredible description of that tension that even he experienced. This is Romans 7 and I'm going to read uh, verses 21 to 23. The Apostle Paul says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin and death that dwells in my members. He talks about this tension, the waging war of what's within me and what happens on the outside. Now, when that happens, when you experience that as a follower of Jesus, you are not yet a hypocrite. Because in that moment, you have a choice of how to handle that tension. One option could be 
total and complete honesty. I'm just going to admit that I can't live up to even my own standards. And I'm going to be honest in all my relationships with my failures and shortcomings. Or behind door B is, I'm just going to pretend that's not the case. I'm going to hide my true nature. I'm going to deny the fact that I don't live up to my own standards. And it turns out that that's a way easier choice for most of us. It's so much easier to hide and deny and avoid than to be honest about what's true. That's the choice that that first man and woman made. Right after they chose self-reliance, they hid themselves from God because the pain of admitting their failure was too great. So when we make that choice, we are deciding whether or not to engage in hypocrisy. So in some ways then, being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, doesn't make us hypocrites, but it creates the conditions by which it's easier to choose hypocrisy than to choose the other path. Here's another way to think about it. When I was in college, I've shared this before, I struggled with an addiction to pornography. And I say it that way because I struggled with it Whereas a lot of my friends and classmates, they didn't struggle with it. They just did it. <laughs> it was a part of their lives as a hobby or a diversion or a fun thing to do. But they didn't struggle with it because there was no law written on their hearts. But for me, it was a struggle. And when you face that kind of tension, you have to figure out what to do. And honestly, that's a really discouraging thing. To see yourself day after day, not do the things you wish you could do, to feel that failure. It can turn to shame, it can turn to discouragement, and it makes us want to hide. The Apostle Paul realized how terrible that place is. Here's the next verse, he says in verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? What are we to do? So we've talked about how Jesus hates hypocrisy. We've talked about how following Jesus actually creates a condition where it's easier for us to choose hypocrisy than honesty. And so now we get to the place where we say, well, what then? Who will save us? What shall we do? And there's a couple of options we have. Because the basic problem we're faced with is that there is some moral standard I have that is disconnected from the way I live my life. So if there's a disconnect, I could change either of those things. If my moral standard is too high and I find myself not being able to live up to it, I could just lower my moral standard, right? I could decide maybe I was meant to be in curvatus in se. Maybe being turned into myself is the right thing. Maybe I could even celebrate self-reliance and self-dependence and say that's the right way for people to be. I would no longer be a hypocrite because I would be celebrating the actions that I previously felt bad about. And this is the path that a lot of people in our culture have taken. They'll say to Christians, stop being so judgmental. But think about that statement a minute. Aren't you being judgmental? by telling someone else to stop being judgmental. And I point that out to show that that lowering of the standards 
It just doesn't work. You can't live that way. Everybody has standards. Everybody expects other people to live by certain standards. And so you can't actually solve hypocrisy by removing the standard. So the other possible path is you could say, well, if my actions don't line up with what I believe, I'll just try harder. I'm going to be better. I will live better. I will work as hard as I possibly can to line up to the moral standards that I have. I'd invite you to speak to somebody who owns a gym on January 10th and get their perspective on how good people are at keeping their promises, at following through on their intentions to change their life and try harder. It just doesn't work. We can't change our moral standards. We can't change our behavior. What then do we do? And we're left with this choice. What we can do here is the solution that the Apostle Paul comes to. After saying, wretched man that I am, he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. We can turn to Jesus. We can turn to Jesus because in Christ, once we have been changed, once Christ has accepted us, there is no condemnation, there is no shame, there is no, there is no judgment on our failure. There is only forgiveness and invitation and tenderness and patience. And so because we are saved by Christ, we are able to make that harder step. We could actually be honest about our failures because we know Christ and we know that he has saved us. The prophet Ezekiel, another prophet in the Old Testament, this is what he said about what happens when you're a Christian and how we can walk forward. This is Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. He said, I will give you a new heart. We already learned that. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Notice there that the God who says he will change our hearts on the inside also says he will cause us by his work in our lives to walk in his ways. That he will put the spirit within us as followers of Jesus and he will help us to live according to his ways. And because we know that, we can be honest when we fail. And we fail over and over again, spectacularly sometimes. We live in this paradox of the tension and we live with our failures. But it turns out that one of the easiest ways to destroy hypocrisy is to be honest. Honesty destroys hypocrisy. How many of you have had this, this drink? It's called liquid death. Anybody? Very few people. I know the first service was kind of like this too. Okay, I'm talking to you. It's this, it's a, it looks like it's got this cool, like mean looking graphic and it's called liquid death and it looks like beer or like liquor or like something that'll kill you, but it's, it's just water. Uh, their, 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 their catchphrase is murder your thirst. Totally unrelated. But the point of that is that phrase, murder your thirst, honesty murders hypocrisy. In the face of honesty, hypocrisy has nowhere to go. 
it dissolves. And because if we are followers of Jesus, we know that we are saved, we know that God accepts us, we can be honest. That's the path forward. We can bring our hypocrisy to Jesus. We bring it straight to Jesus. And we say, Jesus, we need you to save us. Jesus at one point said this, Mark 2, 17, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came for us because we are hypocrites. And Jesus still comes to us, even though we are still hypocrites. And so we can bring our hypocrisy to Jesus and trust him to save us. You know, complaining that Christians are hypocrites are like complaining that all the patients of an oncologist have cancer. Well, of course they do, because <laughs> they're going to the one that can heal them. Of course Christians are hypocrites. <laughs> We're going to the one who actually can save us from our hypocrisy. That's the only path. That's the only path forward. Well, we started off by this statement, I am lying. And we saw how it's kind of this impossible statement. It can't actually be true. And I want to leave you with another statement. I am a hypocrite. By saying that statement, I actually stop being a hypocrite. <laughs> by being honest about what's really true of me, I diffuse the hypocrisy of my life. And I can say that sometimes in my better moments because I have the spirit within me. And you can say that if you have the spirit within you. You can not be defensive. You cannot tell why you're right and why you're misunderstood, but you can actually own your failures because you know Jesus. So if you are a follower of Jesus, then I would invite you to take this message as one that um, could could lead you forward, could give you actually the freedom, to be honest, the freedom to talk about how you still have a lot to grow in and to see yourself in light of how God sees you so that you can admit your own hypocrisy. And if you are seeking God, if you're not sure, if you don't consider yourself a Christian yet, let this be a gentle encouragement for you not to focus on the hypocrisy of others, but to look at your own heart and to look at your own brokenness. And let me invite you to put your faith in Jesus because that is the solution you're looking for. That is the freedom and forgiveness and life transformation that you long for. And you might not see as much of it in the lives of others as you wish, but God's right there with you and we are too. Again, if you want to talk about that more, we have this discussion group right after the service upstairs. Love to dialogue with you about some of those topics. For us then, the challenge is to be dependent on God. We're going to continue in worship and sing a song called Same God, where we talk about how God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How God keeps his promises. That when he says he'll do something, he actually does it. So you and I might be hypocrites. We might be aware of our own hypocrisy, but the God we worship is not. God is the same. 
So let's sing together in praise of him. Let's pray. Father, uh, it's hard to be honest about our failures. We have this innate desire to hide. And yet we come before you bear with our confession. We are not the people we want to be. We cannot live up to even our own simplest standards. And we are tempted to hide that simple truth. We are hypocrites. But we trust and know that you save us from that, that you forgive us, that you change us, and that you transform us over time. So we come to you in hopes that you would continue that work and with the request that you would empower us towards honesty, towards dependence on you, and that that would become a new kind of witness to the world, that they would see our honesty and see your greatness and come to know you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.